Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, as Tag said earlier, if you uh, do not know me, my name is Jeff Pruitt. I am the uh, Children and Young Families Pastor here at Gateway. I'm very excited uh, to be back and being able to uh, share with you guys this morning. Um, We're looking forward to the day when we get to open Gateway back up fully and have our kids going, the students going and all of that. Uh, We're not there yet, but it's coming down the line. Um, and so uh, what we do, like months before um, like this date, uh, our pastors will get together and Don will kind of share some different Sundays where uh, we get to choose to, to preach. And, um, and then being the children and young families pastor, naturally I decided, oh, I'll talk about parenting and I'll talk about families. And that was months and months ago, way before even the COVID uh, infections and virus hit. Uh, so not knowing... Um, what was coming, um, did not know I would be immediately after Gateway restarts, I'd be sharing and talking about families and parenting. Um, but I think it's kind of uh, providential, I guess you could say, because I don't know if there's any other way to see how, any better way to see how much we need as parents and how um, struggling our families are than to stick us in houses for months and months by ourselves. I don't know if you guys had any kind of blow ups or things happen over the past few months Uh, that don't normally happen, mainly because your entire family was together nonstop, constantly day in and day out. And so at this point, I think we can all say, it's kind of tough to stay in a home with your family nonstop, not get out. Um, and so I think it's important to share uh, what I'm going to share this morning um, because uh, we can all agree at this point that we're not always the best parents. We're not always the best families. We really don't have it all together. And we sometimes want to show a perfect picture of what our family looks like. But really, and honestly, that's probably far from the truth for really all of our families. Um, and so this morning, I want to share from God's word, of course, and I want to share a little bit about parenting. Uh, This will also apply to everyone um, because what I want to share about is really a, I guess you could say the intersection of what our current events are in our society and what that can teach us about parenting when we use God's word as a filter to look through all of the different things that are going on. And so maybe a better way to say that is we have God's word. And I don't know if you've noticed this before, but sometimes God's word doesn't give us the exact answers for everything that happens in our life. Let me show you what I mean by that before you say, whoa, what are you talking about? I've looked in here and I haven't found the answer to how to get my five-year-old son to stop loading the toilet down with toilet paper when he goes to use the bathroom. It's not in there, right? There are certain like like specific things that happen day in and day out that there's not the the step-by-step manual in the Bible, but what the Bible gives us is a guide, an overarching story of God's redemption and God's love, the spiritual truths that each and every one of us need for our lives to teach us how to um, engage in every situation in our life. And so it may not tell me how to get my son to stop doing it, but it tells me the right way to approach the situation. 
And I think parenting is, is, is just like that with the Bible in that the Bible doesn't give us a step-by-step every situation. Here's exactly what you need to do to have the best and most perfect kids later on in life. It doesn't tell us that, but what it does do is it gives us a guide for parenting that can teach us how to approach the different situations in our life, how to behave in those situations, how to react in those situations so that our kids can be successful spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically later on in life. And so with that in mind, and I've been thinking about the current events that we all know are happening, um, I wanted to ask the question is, what does the Bible teach us about the current events in our community and how that teaches us the way we should parent? Not specific step-by-step, in this situation, do this, in this situation, do this. But the question is, what should we be teaching our kids? What should we be teaching them? And what I've realized is that the gospel is the best guide to show us what we should be teaching our kids. The story of Jesus Christ who came to this earth, who lived among sinners, who died for us after living a perfect life, who included us in his family, who gave us the privilege of being called sons and daughters of the creator God. That gospel is the number one, the best guide that we could ever use to teach us how to parent our kids and to show us what we should be teaching our kids. And so this morning, what I wanna do, and I don't have a whole lot of time because we're trying to keep it a little bit shorter uh, so that we have time to clean between services, but I wanna give you seven things. In light of current events and in light of what the gospel teaches us as parents, this is what we should be teaching our kids. And maybe you are not a parent and, or maybe you are older and you have grandkids and your kids are already uh, grown up. That doesn't matter because this applies to everyone. You can change this. I'm gonna start every one of these thoughts with teach your kids, but you can change that and just instead think of it as in remind myself. So either if you're a parent, you teach your kids these things. If you're not a parent, you remind yourself of these things. And so here are the seven things that I wanna share that I believe the gospel teaches very clearly. And here's the first one. The first one is this, is teach your kids, or you can say, remind myself that every person is made in the image of God. Ground level, the first thing, foundational truth that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we have to remember, that we have to be sharing with our kids, that we have to be teaching them is that every single person on the face of this earth was made in the image of God. And we can go right to the beginning, right? To Genesis one, where we see that God created humankind in his image. Or we can look at James 3, 9 to have a little more pointed uh, teaching point. This is what James 3, 9 says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And what James is doing at this point is he is talking about how insane it is for people to talk poorly about other people. 
how crazy it is for someone to look at another person and speak ill of them or curse them or say something negative about any other person in the world. He says that is, does not make sense from a Christian perspective, from a follower of Jesus perspective. Why? Because that person was made in the image of God. And so as parents, we can remember that one of our goals is to teach our kids every single person is made in the image of God. Every person we come into contact with, even the people who wrong us, even the people that we disagree with, it doesn't matter who it is, they deserve respect and honor because they are made in the image of God. And that's the first thought that I have. Here's the second thought that I think we need to teach our kids based on the gospel. Teach your kids to be includers and not excluders. This is one of the things that Lauren and myself, we decided, like we have taken some parenting classes uh, just along the way and read some books and stuff. And uh, most of these classes, they'll say, pick two or three things that are really important that will guide your family. And we decided early on that this is one of our number one things that we want to teach our kids, that we should be includers and not excluders. And we get that from the gospel because you look at the whole storyline of scripture and you see that including is what God did when he sent Jesus into this world. Read Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 with me. It says this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so the whole message, the whole good news of salvation in Jesus is once you were excluded, but now in Christ, you are included. And so we need to teach our kids to be includers, not excluders. We get onto our kids, myself and my wife, more than anything else when we see them exclude other people. When we see them relationally hurt other people by treating them differently, treating them poorly. Sometimes we get a little upset. We try not to come down as hard on them when they do something that um, isn't relational, that is more of a, a smaller thing. But when we see them exclude someone else, And siblings like to exclude each other. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. They love to say, no, not you. You can't be a part of this. We say, no, you are going to be an includer and not an excluder. And we need to remember that for ourselves as well. That's number two. Number three, teach your kids that life and remind yourself that life is a celebration and not a competition. Life is a celebration and not a competition. Psalms 98.4 is just one example of the multitude of scriptures that when you look at God's word, it says, rejoice, shout for joy, celebrate. Psalm 98.4, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. So we would do well to remember that life is a celebration of what God has done. 
what God has done in creation, what God has done in salvation, what God has done through Jesus, what God does through the church, what God has created. Life is a celebration of the glories of God singing his praises. But far too often our society confuses this celebration with a competition, doesn't it? If you look at most of the world and most of society, you'll see people who never realize this and their whole goal in life is to get ahead of another person. And their whole goal in life, whatever it takes, no matter who they hurt, no matter who they cast aside, no matter who they exclude, no matter who they look down upon, as long as it benefits them, they're gonna do it because they think life is a competition but we know that life is not a competition. It's a celebration of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's love. Number four, teach your kids. And this is something we can all remember. I need to remember this one. Teach your kids that being stubborn is worse than being wrong. Teach your kids that being stubborn is worse than than being wrong. Check this out, Psalm 32, three through five. I uh, read this one time, it took me years before I found these verses and I just, I, I love it because it gives such a great example and a good word picture of what happens when we are stubborn people. It is David after he had sinned and he didn't want to confess his sin. He knew he was wrong. He knew that he had made a mistake, but because he was so stubborn and because he was so prideful, he didn't want to confess that. He didn't want to say, I made a mistake. God, I sinned against you, forgive me. And this is his description of what happened in his life because of that. Starting in verse three, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning, all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so you look at David's life and we know that David had some pretty heinous sins in his life. He did some things that were, that were um, not very good, right? That, that what would have happened if he would have confessed those right away. And instead of holding on to that guilt and being too stubborn and too prideful, it created this thing where his energy was sapped away from him. And I don't know if you ever have ever held on to anything that you've done against someone and not wanted to admit that you were wrong. And because of pride, because of stubbornness, you said, yeah, I probably was the the one that was wrong in this situation, but I'm not going to admit it. What happens is it saps your energy away. David says like the summer sun, we've all sat in the summer sun in South Carolina and how just, you just, just takes your energy and takes your energy. And it's just like oppresses you down and hurts you. And, and, it, and it's something that's going on internally when you have that guilt in your life because of stubbornness and because of pride. But when you admit that you're wrong, when you realize the mistake you made, and instead of holding on to it, you ask for forgiveness, everything changes. The whole entire load is lifted off of you. And so teaching your kids and reminding ourselves that being stubborn is worse than being wrong is very important because stubbornness will make sins a hundred times worse 
than they are. Pride will make mistakes a hundred times worse than they are. When you hurt someone else, if you go to them, confess, ask for forgiveness, it washes away, but you hold on to it and it saps your energy away. Number five, teach your kids to erase lines and break down barriers. Teach your kids to erase lines and break down barriers. Galatians 2.8 is the prime example of this. As, as Paul is describing the gospel when it comes to different generations of people and different people groups and different types of people, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, he is looking at these different groups through the lens of the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what it means as a Christian to erase lines and break down barriers is to realize that I identity and your kids identity and what you should be teaching your kids about their identity is that first and foremost is they are a follower of Jesus. First and foremost, they are a child of God and that the fundamental truth that should drive them and their reactions and relationships with other people is that every single person is an image bearer of the living God. And that comes before anything else in this world. And so we have to teach our kids that when that is being violated, that our kids have the ability, the privilege, they really have the responsibility of a follower of Jesus. It's when people in the image of God are being violated and, treat, violated and treated as if they're not that. Our kids, we as Christians have a responsibility to erase those lines that people are drawing around people and to break down those barriers so that they are there no longer. Number six, teach your kids to seek truth, not power. And remind yourself to seek truth, not power. And I don't have one scripture for this. What I thought of as I was thinking through this is, is the story of the temptation of Jesus. I mean, this is the story of the temptation of Jesus. Satan wanted Jesus to take power by any means necessary. Because he wanted Jesus to decide that since, Je since I, Jesus, am so powerful, I can have whatever I want and I will take whatever I want. But how did Jesus respond to Satan? How did Jesus fight against Satan? He fought against Satan with the words of God. He fought against Satan with truth. And when he quoted truth, God's word back to Satan it changed everything. So teach your kids to seek after truth, to find truth, to go into God's word and look at where truth is. And when there's something that doesn't make sense to them, don't ask their friends, don't search it up on the internet. No, go to God's word and look for the truth. And if something may give you more power, but it's untrue, then choose truth over power. And here's the last thing, number seven, teach your kids that love covers a multitude of wrongs. First Peter 4.8 says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And I don't know if there's any greater gospel synopsis than that. I mean, the story of what Jesus did 
on the cross is the story of a sacrificial love that covered over a world's worth of sins and earth's like every sin in this world. That's how powerful the love of God is. And so teach your kids and remind ourselves that love can cover over almost anything. Here's a story that, that happened actually yesterday with me that even kind of, um, kind of demonstrates this. And so uh, I live on a cul-de-sac and um, I was pulling out and our, our mailbox is on the right side. Our neighbor lives on the left side. The neighbor always has friends over and they park right in front of their cul-de-sac right here. So I'll pull out and I decide I'm gonna whip in, whip back, whip in and get my mail um, before I leave. And I'm in Lauren's car, it has a hitch on the back. And so I pull out backwards, whip around this way and smack right into the back of our neighbor's car, our friend's car. This happened yesterday, like yesterday morning. Got, I'd get, gotten back from vacation, went one place, going to get my hair cut and boom, hit it. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and so of course I had to go down to their house, rung the doorbell, no one was there, but I knew they were there. So I ran around the back and yelled their names. They were sitting on the porch, just talking, having a great, nice time. Um, and I said, um... I need to tell you something. And she was like, oh no, what? And I was like, this car that's out here. And then I saw the friend, like her eyes lit up. And I was like, yeah, I just ran into your car. And I saw in her like eyes, just like anger, like what? Like you could tell, like she was about to go ballistic. Um, and I had no choice but, but to love her in that moment, right? I was, of course, in the wrong. I had to admit my mistake. I had to say, let's go look at it. Let me show you exactly what happened. Let me apologize. I assure you, I will take care of it. Don't worry. Um, and in me asking for forgiveness and in me showing love to her, like I saw immediately when I said, I, I said, I'm so sorry. I totally own this. You were parked fine. There was nothing wrong with where you were parked. This is all on me. Like her demeanor changed completely. And it was an example of this idea that love covers over a, multiple, a multitude of sins because those types of situations can turn out very differently. Those situations can turn out where, well, you shouldn't have been parked there in the first place. You were very close to my bar. And actually, if you look at the back of your car, you're on my property. You know, there could have been a lot of different back and forths there, but me just showing love, asking for forgiveness, everything changed about that. And it actually ended up being a good, you know, a good, um, relationship, a good conversation, all that kind of stuff. It's good now until she sends me the bill, but you know, that's coming. But I said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. But, um, and my son Jennings was in the car uh, during that. And, and as I hit the car, he said, are we just going to leave? And I was like, no, we're not going to leave. We're going to, I'm going to go talk to him. And I left him in the car. I said, let me go talk to her real quick. And he was like, did you hit that car? Like, you know, he's, he's five. So he wants to know all the answers of what's, he was, what's going on here. And I said, well, I did something wrong. I ran into her car. So I confessed it. I let her know. And he was able to see that whole transaction. So even in that, I was teaching my son the right way to handle um, a relationship like that. It was, it was kind of um, nerve wracking, but funny. But anyway, so those are the seven things that I wanted to share this morning. As I was thinking, I was actually this week, I was just, um, to be honest, I went on vacation. I was driving down to, to vacation and, you know, just the, the things that have been going on in the world were just kind of coming through. You know, I was listening to the news and just report after report after report of people hating each other. 
I mean, bottom line, that's what it is. People hating other people. And as I was going down to the beach, I knew that I was preaching this Sunday and I was like, we've got to do a better job teaching our kids that hate is not the answer. You know, we've got to do a better job of teaching our kids that God's word, the gospel, the Bible speaks directly to the way that we should treat other people. And as I was thinking about, that's where these ideas came to my mind, that we have got to teach our kids that every single person in this world has honor and has respect and is worthy of our love and is worthy of our care and is worthy of the best from us because every single person is made in the image of God. And we got to stop creating little competitors and everything with our kids who feel like getting ahead of the other person is the way to, to, to win in life. It's just not true. How we get ahead in life is we become humble and we submit to other people and we love other people and care about other people and we celebrate God and we see God in every little thing that happens. And that's where true life is really found. And we've got to make our kids realize that it's okay to say you're wrong. It's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to come forward and stop being so stubborn, stop being so prideful. We've got, to, we've got to model that in our lives. And ultimately, we've got to teach our kids that love covers a multitude of wrongs and that Jesus showed us on the cross the way to live our lives. What did Jesus do? He died for the sins of the world. He didn't die for the people that he decided were worthy enough. He didn't decide, decide to die for, for this people group or for only males or only females or only Greeks or only Jews or only slaves or only free. He died for everyone, included everyone in the family of God and everyone who calls on his name is called a son and a daughter of God. We have to live that out as Christians. We have to live that out as parents. We have to teach that day in and day out to our kids.